Did you know that you can wait at the DMV for like three hours and they can forget you're there <laughs> and never call you to the front? And if you don't go up there, they're never going to call you because, you know, they use that computer system thing. If it has a glitch, you're just going to be there forever. Not only that, if you go up and say, I've been here forever, I'd like it to be my turn, they're going to put you at the back of the list again. And now you've got a two-hour wait again. I'm not bitter. <laughs> but this is true, isn't it? The Lord is not like that. The Lord hears our prayers. The Lord responds to our prayers. You're not at the back of the line with God. You're at the front of the line. How incredible is that? Did you know that's only through Jesus Christ? Because... Sinful people cannot just enter into God's presence. Cannot. Why would he listen to our prayers? He's so holy. He's so powerful. He's so great. He's so good. All those things, yes, but also he is high above. And you can't just walk in willy-nilly. It doesn't work that way. You know, think about any king in history. If you were just for a, a historical example or any leader, if you just walk in, the Secret Service or palace guards or whatever, they're going to stop you. Because you don't just get to walk up to the king. But through Jesus Christ, through his death and his resurrection, he pulled us into himself. He made us new creations in himself. The Holy Spirit is in you. The Lord himself is ever interceding for us. And he has made us to be joint heirs who sit at the right hand with him. And so when we pray, ready for this, as, as if Jesus himself is praying. That's amazing. And... Just so for your expectations, sometimes God answers no. That doesn't mean if you say, Lord, I really just a red Ferrari. It doesn't mean he's going to be like, oh, hey, whatever you say. But it means in line with his mission. It means as his spirit is moving us. It means we get to participate with him in his rule. It means that the things he cares about get impressed on our hearts. And as our prayers come up, it's, it's effective and powerful because he's made us righteous. The prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. How is that possible when we're all screw-ups? It's possible because he is righteous. Because his work is perfect. Because he made a complete work in us to make us his own. That when we pray, it is powerful and effective and he hears us and we're at the front of the line. And sometimes the answer is no and sometimes the answer is later. That's not for now. And sometimes the answer is yes, but I'll tell you what, isn't it great to be in line with what God is doing? I was watching a, a little program the other day. I'm not even started yet, I'm sorry. I was watching a program the other day and it was a bunch of guys riding bikes and one guy had one of those GoPro things on, those little cameras that you can wear on your body. And he was doing, uh, it was bicycles that you pedal. And so there were thousands of people riding bikes. It wasn't a race, it was some kind of benefit thing or exhibition, I don't know. Anyway, so this guy is doing one of those wheelie stand things on one wheel and driving fast through everybody and going. And the whole time I was like, oh, don't fall. Oh, he almost hit that guy. Just because if he falls, everybody falls. I mean, it's, it's packed and he's going all over the place. And um, I'm watching this happen, and incredibly, as he's going, he's just making his way through and doing all this stuff. What's incredible for us is this, is that God is not thwarted by how we mess up. He's not thwarted by coming to him in weird ways. If we come through Jesus Christ, if we come through Jesus Christ, and we're moving the same direction with his will, and it works and we're going, we don't have to be afraid of falling. 
But what's incredible in that whole guy riding the bike is that everybody's moving. It's not just people standing still and he's running through them. Everyone was riding quickly. Sometimes when we go through life, we try to do things on our own. We want to have God do what we want to do. And trying to go against the flow of what God is doing in the world, it never works. Have you ever noticed sometimes that when you pray, you just feel... Anxious is the wrong word, but you just feel this, this anxious kind of feeling inside you, and you are crying out to God, and then halfway through, you start praying about something completely different that wasn't even on your mind, and all of a sudden, a peace comes on you. Sometimes we come to God against the flow of what he's doing, and we're praying fervently for that red Ferrari, and God in his kindness puts us back into the flow of his mission and his will, and that's when peace comes on us. He's so good. He hears our prayers. He puts us at the front of the line. Let's look at Jonah together. Jonah's going to pray. Jonah, as you know in this story, is a prophet of the Lord. He has been called to go to a place called Nineveh, which is far away. And he's an Israelite man and knows God. And the Lord has said, go to this faraway place called Nineveh and preach to them. And he doesn't want to go. So instead, he jumps on a boat and he tries to go the opposite direction to a place called Tarshish. And it utterly fails because God sends a storm against the boat. The captain of the boat and all the seamen are terrified about what's happening. And so they are um, offering all kind of prayers to idols. Nothing is helping. Jonah's asleep in the boat. They wake him up. They say, come pray with us. Maybe your God will save us. And so Jonah comes up and they ask Jonah. They say, what, uh, where are you from? Who are you? What's your occupation? And he says, I'm an Israelite. I'm from the Hebrew people. I know the one true God. I'm a prophet of his. And he sent me to Nineveh, but I'm going with you to Tarshish. And the people are very afraid. And they say, what must we do to make this stop? And Jonah, who's pretty cowardly about it, says, throw me into the water, and then the storm will stop. And they try everything they can to not let that happen, to save his life. And in the end, they throw him into the water, and immediately the storm stops. And they are terrified. This time, in fear of the one true God, they offer sacrifices to him, they make vows to him, and God appoints a fish who swallows up Jonah to take him to Nineveh. It's an incredible story. We're going to start reading here of a prayer that he prays while he's in the fish. We're going to start at Jonah 1, 17, just so you can see the context here of, of the Lord sending the fish, and then we'll read this prayer that Jonah says. Let's read together. Jonah 1, 17 says this. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, for you heard my voice. And you had cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All the waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. 
but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Praise the Lord for his word. How many of us would like to be able to pray like this? It's a cool prayer. Let's, if you'll bear with me, uh, there are a couple elements in this prayer that I find surprising that are missing from it that I would expect Jonah to say. Let's look at this prayer in depth and kind of go through and figure out what do the words mean together. So bear with me as we do like a little Bible study and actually look at each stanza, if you will, of this sort of poem prayer and see what is he really talking about. Is that okay? I see the English teachers are like, yeah, is this? that sounds good. Christy, I like you. All right, again, context. The Lord has appointed the fish to swallow Jonah. Now, this is debated. I'm just throwing it out there. This is debated because people question, how could a fish swallow somebody and they live? What does that mean? Um, some people think maybe Jonah was in a hallucination or something or whatever. I'm going to tell you, because I've seen God do things, uh, a fish swallowed Jonah. And somehow Jonah was able to breathe in that fish and lived. And three days and three nights he was in the fish. Um, that's important theological context to us because if we start this discussion and looking at this prayer from a concept of Jonah's hallucinating, then it doesn't really matter what you pray, does it? But if we start this discussion from the context of the Lord God who created the heavens and the earth has power over every living thing, over the seas, over the stars, over everything, then your prayers matter a lot. So in your head, you have to decide, do you believe that this is what God did, or are you going to try to make up some kind of excuse? I'm telling you that, and I'm saying it kind of bluntly, because if you're going to make up an excuse about how this worked, then you're already trying to formulate a way to manipulate God in your own mind. I'm just being honest with you. Your theology, what you believe about God, dictates how you live. So if you believe that God is not really powerful and that this is just a good lesson, it's you're going to start from the wrong foot. Instead, open your heart. Open your mind to say, Lord, you are more powerful than me and do things I don't understand. Help me to understand and know you. And it will change your perspective because God is faithful to speak to us according to his word. Everybody okay? All right, good. Here we go. We're just throwing out bold things this morning. All right, two, verse one. He calls out to the Lord out of his distress, and God answers him. Why is that uh, a big deal, you think? Semi-rhetorical. Christy, why do you think that's a big deal? Because he's, he's running away, right? Jonah has gone the opposite direction from what God told him to do. The Lord said, go to Nineveh. He went to Tarshish, literally on the other side of the known world. And so now, in this terrible situation, Jonah, who wouldn't even throw himself over the boat to save the other sailors. Instead, he had them throw him in. He's shown that he's not even willing to take action to save other people, or himself for that matter. He could have just asked them, hey, turn the ship around, come with me to Nineveh. Maybe the Lord would have stopped the storm. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, now in his distress, he's literally dying in the ocean, or in the sea, probably the Mediterranean Sea. And he's crying out to God, and the Lord answers him. Praise the Lord, that's a big deal. And so now out of the belly of Sheol, Sheol is a Hebrew word meaning the place of death. So it kind of would be like, we don't really have this, this same word in English, but um, out of the pit of hell kind of would be the idea. 
Um, and, in, and in the situation, that's really literally where he is. So if you've ever had, uh, have you ever been swimming at night in a lake? And not in a swimming pool, or even in a swimming pool. In a swimming pool and the light goes out and it's dark, and you are convinced that Jaws is in there? That feeling is terrifying, isn't it? So here's Jonah. He's in the water, but he's sinking because there's a storm. And that the Lord calms the storm, but he's, he's under the water. Uh, he's, he's in a bad place. It, it's, it's not a good situation that he's in. And so he's crying out to God, life and death. So now, not only is he in that situation, but the Lord has, because he's praying from the belly of the fish, swallowed him in a fish. Maybe the fish was a whale, and it was like this big. And he's walking around like that old movie Pinocchio. And he's walking, and there's a ship in there, and he can just kind of hang out in the ship, and there's light. What if the fish is just the right size to swallow him up? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But what if there's not enough room for him to move around, and it's like being buried alive? There's air to breathe, but he can't move. What if it's like that? I bet it's like that. And I'm saying that because he becomes a picture of Christ for us three days, three nights in the ground. In the tomb, the tomb is not big. It's death surrounding him. And you get the feeling, don't you, of death is surrounding Jonah. He's right on the precipice. He could drop off and die any second. And yet God heard him when he cried out. And so there's a lot of emotion that we don't feel when we just read it. That when you think about the context of what's happening, the darkness surrounding him, he does not have a Zippo lighter, he does not have a flashlight, he does not have a cool little LED thing, he's in, he's in the fish. It would be terrifying, wouldn't it? After a while, would you even know which way is up or down? Or It's terrifying. That's the context of which he's praying. Some of us have been in those places before, haven't we? It's scary, and yet God hears him. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. Your waves and your billows, they passed over me. They're going over his head. He's going under. He's drowning. And then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Why is that surprising? He's running away. He quit. He told God, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm leaving your presence. I'm leaving this office you've given me. I don't want to be a prophet. I don't want to be your, your spokesman. I don't want to do what you told me to do. I'm out. And now he's, he's saying to God, oh, Lord, you've driven me away. I'm driven away from your sight. You did this. The sailors did it. They threw me in the water. Nope. He did it. This is by his choice. He chose to do this. And yet... I shall look again upon your holy temple. This word temple is really important. It's really important because, especially at this time, this is where the Ark of the Covenant is. The temple is the seat of God's presence in the earth. It's where you can visit with God. It's where you can be close to him. It's also how you come close to him. So like we said before, uh, sinfulness can't just walk right into God's presence. How do you come into God's presence in the temple? You come through sacrifice. You come through blood which Christ did for us. So we don't have to do sacrifices anymore. He's the once for all sacrifice. But because sin needs to be paid for, because it's so, it's so big, it's so wrong, because of those things, in order to come in God's presence, there has to be sacrifice, there has to be blood. And Jonah's remembering that. He's remembering the salvation, his people around him, the blessing of the temple, the peace that's there, having peace with God. That's the way in which you have forgiveness. So when he's crying out to God saying, I shall look again upon your holy temple, he's not just saying, I'm going to see you someday. He's saying, I can be made right with you. 
through these things that will happen, through the sacrifice and through you bringing me back because even though I'm driven from your sight, I know I'm going to see again what your salvation looks like. The waters close in to take my life. The deep surrounds me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed on me forever. Uh, I'm guessing he, he literally touched the bottom in the darkness before the fish swallows him up to save his life. And he's stuck in this situation where he's, he's literally dying. And yet you brought my life out from the pit. The pit is uh, often used theologically for, um, for being away from God's salvation, uh, like hell and destruction and death. And so God is saving him from death. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Isn't that good of him? You know, I had, a, I had a friend one time whose daughter, my friend was not a Christian. He knew about things. He had grown up in the church a little bit. And his daughter was really sick, and I was with him in the hospital. And uh, his daughter was um, fading, and things were bad, and she had to have emergency surgery. And so he went outside to smoke a cigarette, and he's uh, out there. I went to go comfort him, and he was crying out to God for his daughter. And the prayer sounded like a negotiation of, if you do this, I'll stop smoking. If you do this, I'll come to church. If you do this, I'll start tithing. If you do this, I'll just, I'll give my money to charity. If you just do this, I'll turn my life around. If you do this, I'll stop with pornography. If you do, it was everything you could think of to try to be right with God. And Jonah, while his life is fading away under the waves, isn't it good of him to remember the Lord? And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Somehow Jonah can pray, and God hears it in the seat of the place of his salvation. Thank the Lord for that. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Did you know the only hope of steadfast love that we have in the earth is God himself, who has demonstrated what real love looks like by sending his son Jesus for us. The hope of steadfast love we have is not success. It's not a great marriage. All those things are wonderful. It's not relationships. It's not doing great in the stock market and having bought Tesla several months ago. It's not those things. It's the hope of, our, of steadfast love in life is him hearing our prayers in the seat of the place of his salvation. That in the place where he can act and give forgiveness, he literally hears Jonah's prayers. How incredible. But with the voice of thanksgiving, thank you, Lord, for now saving me. In the pit of this fish, you've preserved my life. I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Which is kind of laughable because he's running away. He had to have, God had to have a fish swallow him for this guy to obey. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He knows it, but he's not living it. And what's missing, there are three things that are missing from this prayer that I would have expected to be there. The first one is repentance. Where does, Lord, I failed you. Lord, I ran from you. Forgive me. Lord, forgive me that I chose my way instead of your way. Forgive me that you said, go with the flow of the mission. And I chose to go the opposite direction. And not only that, I put other people's lives in danger because I knew that you were a holy God who is to be feared. And instead, I decided to just pay, play fast and loose and do whatever I wanted. My comfort was more important than your mission. 
And instead, now he's just thanking God for hearing his voice. He never, there's no contrition here, is there? A little bit at the end. He realizes that those who pay regard to vain idols, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. With the voice of thanksgiving, he's going to sacrifice. He's going to do his vows now. All right, Lord, I'm back. Rehire me. I'll take that bonus. That's, don't you kind of feel that? The emotion from the beginning to the emotion at the end is, Lord, I'm dying, help me. To, oh, now that you help me, I guess I'll, yeah, I'll do it. Thanks. Do you feel that missing? And yet, what a beautiful prayer. Weird, huh? Second thing that's missing is an acknowledgement of the Lord's mission. The whole reason he's in this situation is because God sent him to Nineveh and he said no. And at no time does he say, Lord, I will do what you said. Your mission's more important to me than what I want to do. He doesn't say that. If you were in a relationship with somebody, a spouse or brother, sister, let's say, and your brother's wronged you and came up to you and said, thanks for seeing me. I'm glad that I'm your brother. We're good. That's, kind of, that's a little bit like what Jonah's doing. There's no repentance. There's no acknowledgement of what changed. There's no coming back to the family mission. There's just an assumption upon the familial relationship that they have. And that's going to be Jonah's downfall, is he has an assumption of the familial relationship that he has with God as a Hebrew, who knows God's salvation and knows God's presence, and he doesn't want to give that to any other people. It's a racist stance. And he's assuming on God that because of what you did, it's going to be okay. Third thing that's missing is a real understanding of the temple purpose. He's using the temple as like some kind of bargaining chip. I'm remembering your temple. I'm remembering what you said. I'm remembering these things. And at the end, I will sacrifice to you. I'll remember the vows that I've said. Those are temple things. But the place of salvation, the role of the temple, the mission of the temple was to be a shining light to all the nations that they would see God's salvation and his goodness and be able to bring people into a covenant relationship, a, a real relationship with God where they would know forgiveness and thriving in who he is. Go with the flow of his mission, if you will, instead of fighting against him. And Jonah doesn't acknowledge that at all. He sort of just says, the temple's for me and you gave me salvation. Isn't that nice? Now, there's more going on here, but you can see his depth of understanding, and yet his application is sort of dim, isn't it? And then we get to this verse 10, and it's the coup de grace. And the Lord spoke to the fish. What did it say before? He appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. Now he speaks to the fish. You understand, the fish is doing a better job at the office of prophet than the prophet. Because Jonah is one to whom God speaks. And Jonah's job is to be a mouthpiece for God. That what God says to him, he says to everybody. And now God is speaking to the fish. And the fish is immediately obedient. To take Jonah where he needs to go and vomit. Fish can't speak. The best they can do is spew things out of their mouth. This fish is a better prophet than Jonah. And where Jonah has failed, and with his even flowery words to show God, oh, grace and, and thanksgiving and love, really the fish is doing a better job in one verse. Isn't that incredible? Doesn't it make you sad? 
It makes me sad. Our prayers are effective because of what Christ Jesus has done. But is your prayer genuine? Is his prayer genuine? In my notes, I have all kind of notes in my Bible here that I wrote. And at the very top of the page, that's the biggest thing I wrote. Is this prayer genuine? I think aspects of it are for sure. Is he really in a bad place? Absolutely. Is God saving him? Absolutely. Is he really thankful? Yes. But the heart reception, why is it missing these elements? You know, you can tell a lot by how you pray, by what comes out of you, because the Bible tells us out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what's in you will come out. This is why it's important that you watch what goes in through movies and media and TV and all that kind of stuff. It's why we give ourselves partly to be close to God, obviously, but also we want the word of God to come out of us, don't we? The Lord speaks to the fish and he, man, something comes out of him. Jonah is spewed out on dry land. Would it be that we were like that? That our prayers were genuine and filled with power, knowing what God has said and it just bubbles up in us and comes out of our heart and spews out from our mouth, not in a way that hurts people, but in a thanksgiving praise to God and glorification of Him and giving people the truth and what they need and love and grace. Think about how Jesus did that. With one or two words, He just healed people. Sometimes physically, amazing. Other times, just one or two words brought people back in the fold or, or gave them the right direction or changed their whole life for the future or changed their vocation or whatever. Would it be that our mouths speak such words to give grace to God, to give worship and glory to Him and to be a blessing to all people around us? Not just us in this room, but everybody. You know, there's a lot of words going around right now. We live in an interesting age. I remember a long time ago, my dad got his first cell phone, and he was driving me to school one day. I may have told you this, because I'm sure I have. It, it, it was, it's funny. So we're driving to school, and he's like, check out the cell phone. I'm looking at it. It was one of those Motorola's that's like this big, and it flipped open, you know, and hello? It was great. And so I'm, looking, I'm reading the manual in the car on my way to school in the morning, and there was a thing in there that said, the news feature. And I was like, wow. This, is, this looks awesome. And it was like star 2223 or something. And then you call. And, and he's like, what do you think that does? And I said, I don't know. They probably tell you the news. Like, you call this number and they just tell you the news. How amazing is that? Like the news desk, I think it was, something like that. So I call, he goes, call it. Star 2223. And guy answered, hello. It wasn't CNN, but let's say it's CNN. Hello, CNN. And I was like, Dad, it's CNN. You know? And he goes, wow. And I said, uh, I said what's the news? And the guy goes, uh, I, I don't, what do you mean? I said, well, what? at the time, there was stuff going on in Bosnia. I said, well, what's going on in Bosnia? He said, I, I, I don't, why did you call me? I don't know. What are you doing? I said, well, you, are you the news desk? He said, yeah, I'm the news desk. What are you, why are you calling? I said, well, tell, tell me the news. And we just went back and forth like that for a while. Finally, I hung up because I was embarrassed. And I looked at my dad and I said, dad pretty sure we report the news to them. Like, we tell them what's happening so they can follow it up with a story like, like, you paid for it or whatever, you know, and they come out and look at it. And he goes, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Let's not call that again. I said, yes, okay, that's, that's, probably, that's probably a good thing to do. You know, sometimes we, we approach God out of the overflow of our heart and we're just looking for all kind of things. When we talk to people, we we come before them without a clear message. It's not helpful. 
God has not called us to be receptive all the time. That we can pray and it's just star 223. Lord, tell me what's going on. It's not like that. Prayer instead is with the help of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, God's Spirit Himself. We connect in the flow of His mission that when we open our hearts, when we open our mouths, the Word of God comes out of us to be a blessing to everyone around us. Um, Roy, can we put up our cartoon? I have a cartoon here for you. Here's a guy. If you can't read it, I'll read it to you. Uh, this guy looks like some kind of shepherd. It's probably Jesus. He says, hey, let's go find that one lost sheep together. What does the sheep respond? Nah. Right, it's a sheep. Nah. And then the sheep says, I mean, we care. It's just that we really like the barn. And we've been decorating it for you. This will be great. What's his expression? He's, he's not pleased, is he? He says, plus, why do you only care about the lost sheep? Don't all sheep matter? What's the Lord's mission? Is he about political power? Is he about wealth? Does he care about our economy? Absolutely. Is he about the barn? I think for a long time it's easy for us, like Jonah, to realize the blessing of God's salvation and start to see how Christ did all this great stuff for us. He made us his, gave us life, he saved us in His salvation. He's raised us up with Him that we would know Him. He's given us His Word. We feel great when we're with Him. There's nothing like being close to God. It feels complete, doesn't it? And that feeling is so good and so nice that we'd rather decorate the barn than go out and actually be in the flow of His mission. In our world right now, for our short time, 15 seconds of fame or whatever it is, you know, we've had an attention span of one second for a long time, haven't we? Pretty much since cell phones came around. And now for one second, the whole world is turned toward racism and segregation and economic problems and COVID and death and viruses and elections coming up and there's all this stuff. And I'm asking you this, is your prayer genuine? Are we praying because we're afraid that God will turn the tide of political power? And that might affect us? Are we afraid about the economy going under and so our prayers are really about God preserving the stocks that our finances are built upon or our jobs are built upon or our future security is built upon? Or are we willing to go with him in his mission to save the one? To go outside? To look around and see where things do not reflect his kingdom and instead say, Lord, help us, use us. And I'm telling you right now, I, Stephen Adelini, don't have all the answers of what we should say in every moment. I know Jesus is the answer. And you do too. But in every moment, looking at all the problems of the earth, looking at all the problems of Chesterfield or St. Louis or O'Fallon or St. Charles County or whatever it is, of which there are many, I don't know all the answers. But I know it's going to start with genuine prayers to be in line with God's mission, not like Jonah, just assuming on God, and then seeing a fish who's a better prophet than him. But instead, as the prophetic people of God, 
to stand on His Word and look out and let our prayers be genuine, that where God's mission goes, where His Spirit leads us, we move that way too. Because our heart's desire is to see Him reign and Him glorified. And it does not look like racism. It does not look like brokenness. It does not look like glorified barns. Because God's glory fills the whole earth. And the barn doesn't really matter that much. So what should we do? We should start by looking in our own hearts. What do our own prayers look like? Are they genuine? Are they always about us? Or do they ever go outside the gates of the pasture in which we are in? Are our prayers in line with His mission? Or are they really about our comfort? And do we have a heart for people like God has? Or do we have a heart for making the barn better? And I'm talking about literally the physical church building, but I'm also talking about the castle that we all have, whatever that is. You know, I have a, uh, I, I really like guitars as a hobby, and so I own probably too many of them. And I found one one time uh, that was for sale, and I didn't recognize the brand. I was confused about it. And so I, it was cheap. It was like $50, which for a guitar is really cheap. And it looked really nice, so I went to go see it, and I was like, wow, this thing is awesome. And uh, the guy's like, yeah, I just don't play it. So I bought it, and I was like, man, this, is, this thing is a cool-looking guitar, but I don't know anything about it. So I brought it to James Gast, who's a blessing, and he's a musical guy. He knows everything. So if you ever have music questions, talk to James. He'll help you out. I said, James, what about this guitar? He's like, this is a, this is a British Spectre. These are famous guitars. They're great. It's missing this little thing. I'll fix it for you. This is, this is an awesome guitar. How much did you pay for this? I said, 50 bucks. He was 50 bucks. What? He goes, you could, man, these things are a couple hundred dollars. Easy. 50 bucks? I said, yeah. And then I went home, and I'm looking at this guitar, and he set it up for me. It's all nice. I played it once or twice, and then I set it down, and I picked up my phone to see if I could find another deal. Because God blessed me with this great guitar. But rather than investing time into using it toward his glory, I instead was concerned about Maybe I can benefit again. Maybe I can find somebody else that we don't, because I wasn't taking advantage of the guy. I didn't know what it was. He didn't know what it was, right? Maybe I can find, maybe the Lord will do that again. Lord, do that again. That would be great. If you do that again, I'll know you really love me. <laughs> and we laugh, but we all believe it. We all do. Lord, how do I know you really love me? What have you done for me lately? It's Jonah's spirit. Isn't it sad? But God's spirit is outside the barn. It's outside the fence. It's not just our gain. It's his gain. It's his mission. It's his glory. God is for you, yes. But understand, when you pray, God is for his mission. And he's for the sheep that he's finding. And so if we turn our eyes away from Black Lives Matter, or we turn our eyes away from COVID-19, or we turn our eyes toward trying to just have political favor come November, we're going to miss the mission of what God is doing. Instead, we've got to turn our eyes toward, Lord, what are you doing? And give me opportunity like Jonah that I can speak clearly wherever you put me. And then we'll see what God does. Because I don't know all the answers, but I know if we start with genuine prayer, he will hear it, and our prayers are powerful and effective. And he may literally change the world through our prayers. How incredible would that be? And using us, his people, to do his mission 
that looks like discipleship in the world. Amen?